Well, for the secularist out there, you may think the decline of Christianity in the American West is a good thing, but today we're going to look at what that has actually produced and whether or not you can actually suppress the religious impulse that exists inside of each and every person. And if you can't, what actually takes its place? We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. Today's show is sponsored by our friends over at Element Home Loans. The Kevin Blair team at Element Home Loans can help you get into a new house. And I know what you're thinking. Have you seen the interest rates lately? Well, I have to tell you something. Have you seen the housing market lately? Whereas in the pandemic, if you were going to buy a house, you had to make an offer usually over asking price and you were competing with other people. It wasn't a big surprise, especially in our area, for houses to go 30000 over asking. But that's not the way it is anymore. Sure, interest rates are higher than they were a year ago and certainly two years ago. But the housing market has changed, and now houses are sitting on the market longer and longer, which means you have buying power. And you can always refinance your house somewhere else down the road and get a better interest rate in the future. But you can lock in a interest rate right now before they go higher and a great price on a home if you act now. But to do that, you need to go see our friends over at KevinBlairTeam.com, and they can help you. No gimmicks, no games. Uh, complete transparency, and you'll know when you're doing it that you're also coming alongside a business that cares about the things that you care about. So go to kevinblairteam.com today and let them know that IndieThinker sent you. Thanks for watching the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Now, postmodernism in our present post-Christian society has been successful at very few things, but one of the things it has done in spades is produce misery. As Christianity has declined 12 percentage points over the past decade, there's another statistic that is concurrently rising with it, and that is the suicide rate in America. There is one suicide death in the U.S. every 11.5 minutes. Suicide was the 12th leading cause of death overall in the United States, claiming the lives of over 45,000 people. Suicide was the second leading cause of death among individuals ages 10 to 14 and 25 to 34. The third leading cause of death among individuals 15 to 24. And the fourth leading cause of death among individuals between the ages of 35 and 44. And this is a shocking statistic. There was nearly two times as many suicides in the United States as there were homicides. By the way, that number is 45,000, almost 46,000 suicides. And the total age-adjusted suicide rate in the United States increased from 35% to 10.4% from 2000 to 2018. And one final statistic that I think is pretty Interesting. The total age-adjusted suicide rate in the United States increased 35% from 10.44 per 100,000 in 2000 and 14.2 per 100,000 in 2018. So in 18 years, 35% increase in suicide. So in the wake of our current postmodern experiment and neo-Marxist experiment, um, there has to be an implicit acknowledgement of what it has actually accomplished. So instead of trying to sidestep away from the obvious, what uh, those who are in this vein of thought actually have had to commodify the misery that neo-Marxism and postmodernism has created. And so now it's no surprise that we have categories for oppressed people that 
that perfectly normal people fight to enter into to feel special because they haven't been able to find purpose and meaning from traditional values, spirituality, or belief in something bigger than themselves. They have to find it in the misery that is so common these days. This misery was on full display the moment Elon took over Twitter. And here's a clip of Elon making the best dad joke we've seen in a while as he entered the headquarters of Twitter on his first day of work. Elon's purchase prompted outrage and letters demanding certain things from Elon as he takes over the company. But what are these Twitter employees really mad about? They didn't just lose midday yoga classes and lattes on demand. That's not what they're mad about. They lost control. For a people without God, loss of control is a deeply scary proposition. And before you think I'm being presumptuous, yes, the vast majority of these employees did not have a belief in God, almost assuredly, or they'd rejoice over the loss of the leftist grip on the public square, and they'd rejoice in the reclaiming of free speech. The totalitarians over at Twitter crying about their last lost jobs are not just really crying about their jobs. They're crying that they cannot any longer control speech. For people with no hope in God, there is no hope in an ultimate plan for your life. So this is truly a scary proposition when you lose control. Therefore, you must take on the insane responsibility of taking control of everything that you possibly can. Or just simply become a nihilist and believe that there is no meaning and no purpose in life. But before you take the last spiritual and intellectual leap off that cliff, the only thing you can do is try to wrest a little bit of control in every facet of life that you possibly can so that you can convince yourself that things aren't spiraling out of control. And the reason you have to wrest control of every facet of your life, if at all possible, is that you can never come to terms with the terrifying proposition that the things that you can't control are in the hands of utter chaos, if not in the hands of God. So therefore, you have to, whether it be subconsciously or not, try to convince yourself that you are actually in control of things that you have no control over. Like, for instance, trans people crave the control over their biological sex. They, they want to create a fictitious thing called gender that then therefore influences how they were born so that they can claim, well, because we don't believe in God, then all of these things that are totally outside of our control, they're in our control. This is the same thing with climate change hysteria. Everybody believes that climate change exists and everybody knows that there is a climate. There is no such thing as a climate denier. But there is such a thing as a climate hystericist who wishes to try to reclaim acts of God and say they're in our control, and then perhaps also to maybe one more. Race is mostly a weapon of control, too, used by illogical and dishonest people. It's a created term, first and foremost. Um, sure, there there is a difference between your ethnicity and from whence you come, but race, based upon color of skin, is completely contrived. And why is it contrived? Well, to try to control what categories we can stick people in. This is all so that people do not have to come face to face with the scary reality that sovereignty is a characteristic of God and that without God, all sovereignty is gone and chaos takes its place. What I mean to illustrate is that much of what is going on in society is a direct result of secularism. This is exactly what the atheist Nietzsche prophesied about with the death of God. In the parable of the madman, he said this, God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned and has bled to death under our knives? Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement? What 
sacred game shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? In other words, if God is dead, something must take his place. His throne doesn't sit vacant. You can't deny the religious impulse inside of each and every human being, no matter if you qualify yourself as an agnostic or an atheist. All of us have a religious impulse, and something will take the place of God if we do not have a belief in God. The only question is, is does it fit the throne like God does? And as a society, we're realizing the hard way that actually the things we're putting in place of God aren't a good fit. And today we're going to look at the death of real faith and its unfortunate side effects in Christianity Not Today. Well, you may remember Daryl Brooks, who last year was responsible for injuring 60 people and killing six other people in Waukesha, Wisconsin, at a Christmas parade. You may remember that he's a black supremacist, and you may remember that he drove through this group of people without slowing down in the least. Well, what you may not know is that uh, he has a rather peculiar understanding of God, and you can see that in this court TV clip that was filmed as he was found guilty of killing those six people and injuring 60 other people and found guilty on all charges. So here's that. I'm happy to say that my conscience is clear. And because I believe, I trust him with my life. Nobody will never know why it was his will for this to happen. Now, the reason I even bring up this story is because looking at that clip that I just showed you, you would think to yourself, well, this is the problem with religion. Look at the way this guy talks about God. Well, the problem with that is that secularism looks exactly what you, looks like what you just saw. It doesn't look like widespread atheism because that has never existed in society. I question you to actually find a society that is built and founded upon atheism and thriving to this day. So in the history of the world, it has never been done because you cannot suppress the religious impulse in all of us. So what actually happens, rather instead of creating a society of atheism, secularism actually creates a society of false religion. And that's exactly what you saw from Daryl Brooks there in that clip, as he says that God has a plan through all of this. No, the reason you're going to jail is because you had a plan, and that was to kill as many white people as you possibly could leading up to Christmas and making sure that families went home without their child um, and without their grandmothers and without their loved ones. That was your plan, and that's why you're in this situation. But the audacious nature of what this guy just said shouldn't escape us, and that's why I want to put it here for all of us to see. And I want it to serve as a reminder that when the church doesn't do what it's supposed to do, when it doesn't stand up for truth, and when it doesn't effectively preach the Word of God, yes, we are responsible in some ways for this kind of understanding of God. And now some people might even ask, well, Reed, this is just Daryl Brooks. I mean, this is an isolated incident. And so how can you blame 
you know, the church for not preaching the gospel or teaching the word of God for Daryl Brooks's false understanding of God. Hasn't a false understanding of God always existed? Well, yes. And I'm not merely blaming the church. I'm just saying that we do have some of the blame to share. But as our society has become more secular, we have seen that more and more false religion is, is cropping up all over the place. And now it's time for us to take notice and do something about it. Because I have a question. What's the difference between Daryl Brooks and what he just said and the person you're about to see named Pentecost, who is not only cosplaying womanhood, but is also cosplaying Christianity in a ridiculous outfit? So here's that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. You like her eyeshadow. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she'll let you borrow it. When I you're older, like when you're allowed to wear makeup. Just... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Well, one of the things I think is great about Miss Pentecost is she reminds us that we, we follow a God who calls us to not conform to things of this world, uh, that we're supposed to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And that means that what I think today may have to change tomorrow if I continue to renew my mind. And it's so cool that... God, how gross. And the fact that there's two little children there, and they have no idea what's being shoved down their throat right there because they're just kids. Anyway... I want to answer the question, what is the difference between Daryl Brooks's understanding of religion and Pentecostes, 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 Pentecostes understanding of religion? The answer is nothing. Both are abusing Christianity. Both are abusing it for their own purposes. In our secular, postmodern, relativistic world, people think that they can take the name of Jesus and take Christianity and manipulate it any way that they want, but this certainly obviously is not the Christianity of Scripture. So what are the consequences of fake religion? Well, as you just saw in that clip, children are abused, and as you just saw in the Daryl Brooks instance, people are murdered. So you think that this idea of secularism is actually preferable to a society, do you? You think that to each his own is a recipe for great things. I have to tell you, when we have no objective understanding of facts, then we don't understand that human beings made in the image of God actually have real intrinsic value. By the way, where do you think the idea that in, of intrinsic value in human life actually comes from? It's definitely not from secularism. It's from the Bible. Maybe if I haven't convinced you yet that secularism ultimately leads to a bloodbath and that true authentic faith actually can preserve a society, at least I will just tell you this. You do you gives you no understanding for why you shouldn't do whatever you want to do. Therefore, we might need some truth to go on top of our you do you mentality before it leads to more death or perhaps more writing, as we'll see in this next story. So just recently at UC Davis, a conservative event was supposed to be taking place. However, that event was canceled because there was a riot that broke out. And because of the violence that broke out, that conservative event was canceled. So here's a local news station doing some coverage about that UC Davis event. Davis's campus targeting protesters of a conservative speaking event hosted by a student organization. The metal barricades that sometimes people use for crowd control at events like this and hurl them full force at the crowd with no care or consideration for the injuries that might have been caused. 
Videos shared with CBS 13 show the back and forth. In one, a UC Davis student says she's been sprayed with mace and that her eyes burn and she can't see. They broke her property just simply for being a conservative. Oops. Oops. I think you meant to cut a little bit sooner than you did because I don't know if you missed it, but that girl just said that she was a conservative and she was pepper sprayed because she was a conservative. So let's get this straight. The media is telling us right now that this UC Davis event um, in California, of all places, a conservative event was shut down because of the violence of conservative extremists or right wing extremists. Now, so you to believe this, let's just, you know, push aside our ideological bends here for a moment and let's just be logical. So you would have to believe that the right is so committed to self-destruction that they want to shut down their own events and they hate their own events so much that they will create violence at their own events. So that's what you'd have to believe. Or you could believe that the left, those who are committed to self-mutilation, therefore not too far from self-defeat because they believe in transing children and they believe in transing adults. So those who believe in supposed gender-affirming care are not the ones who are the self-defeating ones, but it's the right who wants to cancel all of their own events. Who's really to blame for the shutting down of this event? Forgive me if I don't believe it's the Proud Boys, but that I actually believe it's leftist radicals who came out and stirred up the violence and then was met and also with, with force when they did that. So what's more likely, the bastion of conservative speech UC Davis was standing back and all of the students there were just praying earnestly and honestly, idly sitting by while the Proud Boys destroyed their own event, or that the very left-leaning UC Davis was actually responsible for getting the event shut down and then they blamed conservatives for it. Just a couple of things. I can't tell you what to believe, but I can tell you which one makes way more logical sense. A couple other things. No one defines radicalism on the left. It's always on the right. Why is that? When we talk about excesses, at least when the mainstream media does, they never have a definition for what leftist extremism is. In fact, I can't remember the last time I actually heard the term or an illustration of what is considered leftist extremism. Why is the media totally dedicated to only showing you extremism on the right? Um, perhaps another thing. Relativism has made us truthless. Now, the media and others don't actually have to tell the truth. Why? Well, because we have no understanding, no rooting, no anchor, no, no rock to stand upon that we call truth anymore. So now all we have is your truth and my truth. But in the process, the truth is totally alienated from all of us. Therefore, the media sees no reason to be, to be honest and forthright about what actually takes place almost ever. They're only concerned with the narrative. And then I just have one final thing to say about this. It's clear. The left hates free speech. Now, of course, they love free speech all the way up until somebody disagrees with them. The ACLU used to be that place that would, that would hate what an opponent would say, but they would fight for their right to say it. But now the censorious left is all about censoring other people's speech calling for social media to censor conservatives, freaking out when Elon Musk comes in with his sink to prove that he is indeed the CEO of Twitter, and them freaking out because they know that free speech is actually going to be implemented. And if there's anything the left hates more than free, more than free speech, I don't know what it is.
And so I ask again, what does real radicalism look like? Well, in our last story, I can certainly show you what real radicalism looks like, and it should be something that sparks a little bit of outrage from us. You may remember David Delighton. He kind of made the rounds back in 2019, I think it was, when he exposed some Planned Parenthood workers with some secret video recordings. This was back before Project Veritas. And he got some people from Planned Parenthood to talk about how much money they can make on baby body parts by selling them in the open market. And that video went viral. It was posted all over the place and immediately Planned Parenthood sued David Delighton. Uh, now, you might want to call this guy a hero for exposing something as wicked as what was going on at Planned Parenthood, but just recently, according to CBN News, David Delighton, pro-life activist, was ordered to pay Planned Parenthood $2.4 million for exposing the sale of baby body parts. So the article goes on to say this, a California appeals court has ruled that David Delighton and his team of pro-life activists must pay $2.4 million to Planned Parenthood for an undercover investigation that exposed the abortion giant was harvesting and selling baby body parts. Now, you can read the rest of that article um, uh, below in the in the show notes here, and, and you can access that. But, but I just want to stop right there. Moving on into the midterms, we're hearing that democracy is at stake and democracy is on the ballot and that there are election deniers all over the United States creeping and crawling into your bedroom and soon they'll grab your children. Had your kids, had your wife. If you dare vote Republican, our democracy will be over. And then also throw in other terms like Christian nationalist and fascist and racist just to, you know, stir the pot a little bit more. All of this is clearly an attempt for the Democrats to save a floundering presidency and what will be a red wave that will come in, in November. Now, uh, hopefully we're smart enough to realize all of these are gimmicks and tricks and tactics, but the biggest tactic of them all has been to prolong the January 6th commission to lead us almost all the way up until the midterms so that it can become one of the biggest talking points of of the Democrats. Um, while I hate to get political, um, I do want to expose the truth. And of course, there's all exposing on all sides that needs to go around. But here's one that is particularly egregious. If we're going to talk about threats to democracy and democracy being on the ballot, well, then surely we can include travesties of justice like what just took place with David Delighton. This man exposed Planned Parenthood for their wicked extortionist practices of convincing women to abort their children uh, because it's better for your pocketbook, and then taking those baby body parts um, and, and selling it because it's, point in fact, better for Planned Parenthood's pocketbook. In the meantime, the women who are left in the aftermath of an abortion are racked with pain, racked with guilt, and constantly reminded of the decision that they had to make while Planned Parenthood skips their way to the bank every single abortion. So if we're going to talk about an insurrection, if we're going to talk about January 6th, I would like for us to also include in the conversation the insurrection that happens in the wombs of women all across America every single day in abortion clinics like Planned Parenthood. Now you may say to yourself, well January 6th was an imminent threat and this, even if you, you know, maybe are pro pro-life, so you say, this is not an imminent threat. Well, how can you not think that the murder of innocent babies in the wombs of mothers all across America is not a threat to democracy? Certainly the way that we value human life truly is a threat to democracy.
Now, the Democrats will never admit to it, but for those who actually have eyes, ears, and an operational prefrontal cortex, hopefully you understand that one of the greatest threats to democracy in America today is abortion, and the sooner it's over, the better. But I already hear the emotional blackmail coming from those who are in the pro-abortion community, and that is that what about health of the mother? What about rape and incest? Well, you should know this, if you don't already, that 98% of abortions, and that's being charitable, are done simply electively out of convenience. And then the other 2% are done because of rape and incest and health of the mother. So as you can tell, the vast majority of abortions in America happen simply for the sake of financial concerns or simply out of convenience. Then the vast majority of the 2% happen as a result of rape and incest. Now, we could get into that, but I would just simply say this. We don't blame an innocent child for the actions of another person. And then when we come to health of the mother, well, I think it's important to point out some facts here so that we don't simply rely upon the talking points of the left. And just recently in an article from Human Life International, it says, what percentage of abortions are medically necessary? Now, before I go any further, you're going to say, well, Reed, this is obviously a pro-life source. The evidence that's actually posited in this article that I'm about to read to you, does that come from merely pro-life sources or is it coming from reliable sources that we need to take into consideration? So let's read the article. Abortions performed to preserve the life or health of the mother are so rare that they do not register statistically. According to Alan Guttmacher of Planned Parenthood, who did more to promote and spread abortion on demand throughout the world than any other individual, in 1967 he commented, Today it is, it is possible for almost any patient to be brought through pregnancy alive unless she suffers from a fatal disease such as cancer or leukemia. And if so, abortion would be unlikely to prolong, much less save the life. So as you can tell right there, uh, there's almost no instance in where a person actually needs an abortion to save their life. But we can go even further, um, a little bit closer to our timeline past 1967 in the Guttmacher Institute, which is a pro-abortion uh, institute. And, and we can look at the Surgeon General back in 1981. Former Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. C. Everett Koop said, the fact of the matter is that abortion as a necessity to save the life of the mother is so rare as to be non-existent. In other words, you can't even statistically place a number on it because it happens so incredibly rarely. Now, this should be something we thank God for, that medical science has brought us to the place today where it is almost non-existent for a woman to be placed in a position where her pregnancy will cost her her life. We are not living in the 1600s anymore where the vast majority of babies that are born are going to die in delivery. That That's a thing of the past. And there are people who would want you to remain ignorant of this fact. But thankfully, we have other statistics coming out too that say... Although not the primary goal of the study, it is clear. Places like Kenya, where you might expect that more abortions need to take place because of lack of medical care, only 20% claim that the main reason for abortions is because of health of mother, and places that are more developed, like Finland, only 0.6%. In fact, in the United States, abortions are performed most often for reasons of convenience, such as finances or relationship status.
So hopefully from those statistics, you can tell that abortion to save the life of a mother is totally non-existent. It's something that eugenicists tell the world and the world gullibly believes. It is not necessary to abort a baby ever to save a woman's life. I defy you to uh, undermine that narrative. Go speak to an OBGYN and see what they tell you about the issue. But nonetheless, more importantly, I hope this influences your thinking as you vote, but more importantly, your thinking as a believer. Because we want to be compassionate to people, but you can't be compassionate at the expense of murder. So again, the golden mean here. People like Phil Vischer on the Holy Post want to tell you, well, if we overturn Roe v. Wade, it's not even going to really save that many lives. So don't vote for a conservative just because they tell you about putting justices on the court. Well, we just saw that narrative totally undermined, unfortunately, for those of you who don't like him very much, by Donald Trump. Because of a conservative court, Roe v. Wade is done with and lives are being saved. And that is a moral and spiritual good. So if we're going to talk about threats to democracy, make sure that that's on your ballot this November. Now, I told all of the following stories, at least for this one reason, that I hope we can see that as secularism gains steam and Christianity becomes a thing of the past, the value of human life is decreased and radicalism increases. Regardless of you buy into whether or not the left is more radical than the right or the right more radical than the left, the one thing that I hope we can agree upon is that without truth, radicalism becomes a pretty feasible option. And so the question is this, from whence do we derive truth? There are going to be those who object to my understanding that truth should be derived from a authoritative source like the Bible. But if you're going to disagree with me, then you must do what all responsible people do. You must come up with something that deserves to be a better standard of truth. And if you can't find one, then you're going to at least have to grant the premise and consider it. I know this, for the longest time, our society has used the Bible as a standard by which we can judge right and wrong. And it sure seems when it had a greater hold on society that our culture was a little bit better off. And maybe you even say, well, read what about the civil rights movement of the 1960s? Might I remind you that one of the greatest civil rights leaders of our age, and certainly the greatest civil rights leader of the 60s, was Martin Luther King Jr., who was a uh, pastor, appealing to the moral sentiment of a people steeped in Christian tradition. That doesn't mean we get it right all the time. doesn't mean we always do what we should, but it means that if we can appeal to a moral center in people, that there is hope for the future and there is hope for change. Where there is only arbitrary standards and no understanding of truth, ultimately we have you do you, which ultimately leads to destruction. I hope I illustrated that with my stories today. If I did, I'd love to hear from you down in the comments section. And you can also make sure to like and share and subscribe. But most importantly, go with God. Thanks so much for watching.